0: Good morning. If you if you have a Bible, will you turn with me, please? Not to Romans, but to Numbers, by way of a change. Numbers chapter eleven and Numbers chapter twenty-one. Just going to be looking at a couple of verses today um, in in this incredible story to do with the children of Israel. I do get amazed when I read this story of their journey. When I, when I consider what Jesus or what God does with them, it appears that day by day they are faced with a very simple challenge, which is life or death. In, in Deuteronomy 31, at the end of the list where Moses has been given the children of Israel some instructions on the blessings that come through obedience and the curses that come through disobedience, Moses says to them, I set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life. I Think, well, it's kind of obvious, really, isn't it? Why does it have to be re-emphasized? It's life or it's death. And yet that choice has been with us since the Garden of Eden. God created the world, put Adam and Eve in a garden, the garden that is about 200 square mile, a little bit smaller than Anglesey, and you'd need a bit better machinery than a hand mower to cut the grass. An incredible garden full of fruit trees. And God says to Adam, every fruit tree in this garden is good for you. You can enjoy every fruit tree. You have to name the animals. You can name the trees. You can enjoy yourself. Just just look after this garden for me. And then he says, there's there's two trees I want you to know about. This one is the tree of life. And that one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't say anything else about the tree of life. He just says about this tree. Don't eat from it, because the day you eat, you die. It's life or death. It's it's getting it right. It's choosing the best that God has to offer. And if God says choose life, we're kind of foolish when we choose the opposite. But don't we like our own way very often? And as you, as you move the story on, the, the decision is still the same. Noah, living in, in a perverse and wicked generation and is righteous and finds grace in God's sight, God comes down to Noah and says, what a great guy you are, Noah. Build me a boat. He says, my great-great-granddad, "You walked with you and he, he went straight to heaven. I mean, that's why I've chosen to walk with you. I want to avoid the pain. No, no, just build me a boat. Well, why do I build a boat? Because it's life or death. And if he'd not built the boat, well... God would have started again brand new but fortunately Noah decides to take God seriously learns a lot of new skills from felling trees splitting trunks into planks and putting the things together and making a boat something he'd never done before because he he chose to believe God rather than what the state of play was in the world around him. Moving the story a bit further on you've got Abraham who waits a long long time for the son of promise and Eventually, Isaac is born and Isaac grows up to be a young man and he is able to carry the wood for the burnt offering. He's able to make the journey with his dad up the mountain. They, they kind of do it together There's an adult conversation as Isaac asks the question, where is the sacrifice? We've got the fire, we've got the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, choosing to believe God, chooses life in the face of death. And it is remarkable. Time and time again throughout the history of Israel, God takes his people and faces them with this, with this predicament. It's life or it's death. Sometimes it's with individuals. You've got Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They've been captured. They're in Babylon. And the King Nebuchadnezzar decides, I'm going to build a great big golden image. It's going to be 90 feet high. I'm going to set it up in the plains. There it's going to be. And every official will bow down and worship this golden image. And if they don't, I'm going to have the fiery furnace ready just in case somebody decides to try to call me out on this. And the day comes, and the moment arrives, and the statue is there, and there's hundreds in the valley in this plain, and the flute toots, and everybody falls down except for... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stand there obeying God. You have no other gods before me. And they stand there facing death by the fiery furnace. And in choosing to obey God, they choose life. And in choosing life, they get an incredible miracle as they get thrown into the fiery furnace and they suddenly discover the Son of God is there with them. And they're walking around in the fiery furnace having a conversation and they get life in the face of death because to obey is better than to sacrifice. But sometimes we think, oh, if I disobey but I make a sacrifice, God will smile on me nicely. No, no. To obey is better than sacrifice. A bit further on in the story of Daniel. Daniel himself is faced with a similar thing. Daniel is looking at the king has set this decree people have to worship their gods for so many days and Daniel deliberately goes into his room opens the windows towards Jerusalem three times a day and worships God publicly and then gets thrown into the den of lions you think Daniel what is wrong with you? I mean, you could use the argument before God. You've asked me to surrender and to submit to those in authority over me. So I'm not really worshiping what he's asked me to worship. I'm just submitting it. No, no. Daniel decides, let's worship God the way I've always done. And in the face of death, the lions decide they don't want their supper that night. It is remarkable. The day of Pentecost arrives. 120 people in the upper room. And they're faced with it's life or death. How else do you live the Christian life when Jesus has ascended back to heaven? they told to wait for the promise of the Father. They're waiting in the upper room. What are they waiting for? Well, they're not really sure. They've just got this word from Jesus. You will receive power from on high after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You just wait for the promise of the Father. They're not sure what's going to happen but they choose life instead of death. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. And prior to that, he said, the thief has come that he might steal, kill, and destroy. What are we going to choose? Now, we come back to this story in in Numbers where the children of Israel are faced with a challenge. They're faced with an incredible opportunity. What I, I find interesting with this story is that it's kind of wrapped up in the life of Moses. Now Moses lives 120 years and he spends 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh trying to prove he is somebody. He spends 40 years looking after the sheep in the back end of the desert discovering he is nobody. And then he spends 40 years wandering the desert and the wilderness with God's people discovering God can be everything to anybody. But if if his life is 120 years and they don't start the 100 and they, they don't start the 40 years of wandering until after the failure of going into the promised land, then what God did from the moment he called Moses at the burning bush to the the, the attempt of going into the the promised land is an incredibly short space of time where God demonstrates his power and his glory and and his awesome presence over and over and over again. And eventually, the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they're faced with the Red Sea. They've witnessed God demonstrating his power over Egypt, and they come out having the firstborn been killed, and they leave Egypt by night. They leave in hurry. They come to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are behind them. And the first thing they do is complain. I think you've just witnessed God's power, and the first thing you do when the going is tough is whinge. I think that's just Unbelievable. You've just had an incredible deliverance. They've actually given you stuff to get you on your way. They've paid you to leave. And now you're moaning. And Moses stands there, stretches out his staff under the command of God and the sea opens up. And they go through. And eventually the the Egyptians disappear. And they have an incredible praise party the other side of the Red Sea. And they start singing and dancing. And and it's, it's quite remarkable. The horse and the rider, he has thrown into the sea. And they rejoice in God. And then they come and they're thirsty and the water is bitter they don't remember the Red Sea they don't remember the salvation and the provision of God they complain because this is bitter think what is wrong with you and we come to chapter 11 and it says and the rabble began to complain about the food and the people of Israel wailed I mean 2 million people in a wilderness, wailing. I mean, the noise must have been unbelievable. I do feel sorry for Moses. I mean, two million people going, oh, if only we had the fish that we had in Egypt. We ate fish without cost. Oh, we had cucumbers and we had melons. Oh, we had leeks and we had onions. And we had the garlic. Oh, if only. You didn't. You had meat and veg of slavery. I mean, you read the text and you think, did you come home from work every night and you potter about in your garden and you look after your allotment and you do a bit of weeding and you do a bit of watering and, oh, the carrots are looking good this year, my loving. No, you didn't. You were beaten from morning till night to work harder. And yet they seem to look back with rose-colored glasses. And I believe, I really believe we're faced with a decision as we consider the journey that Emmanuel Church has been on. We're faced with a decision. The decision is very similar. It's the cucumbers of Egypt or the milk and honey of the land of promise. We could go round in circles, couldn't we? We've got it nice here. We've we've got it looking good here. Who needs more pressure? Who needs more challenge? Who needs more heartache? Who needs more backache? Who needs more headache? I mean, who needs all that? It's it's kind of okay. Let's just keep doing it. Well, it's not as straightforward as it would appear. And these guys are about to enter the promised land, and they're still looking back for Egypt. They're still longing for days that were. They don't say, oh, what we really miss is, is, is the taskmaster's rod on our backs. It's the cucumbers of Egypt. You didn't have time to grow anything in Egypt. You didn't have fish without cost. It cost you your life to get out of bed in the morning because you knew the moment you, stepped, you set foot on the workplace making bricks to build towers and cities and pyramids, you were going to get beaten because they don't think you're working fast enough. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, it's life or it's death. It's kind of, the options are kind of restricted. It it, it is one or the other. And yet, so very often, we always go for the other. We always go for the thing that we look back with retrospect and think, oh, I was much better back then. It's weird how the mind does that. Now, we have a great heritage where Babs and I come from in Wales. We had a a great time when we came out of the Baptist church and God began to move and we saw things. But we saw God move in remarkable ways, same as you guys did up here. But it is easy to look back and forget there there was an awful lot of pain along the way. There was some suffering. There were some scars that we took on board along the way. The journey wasn't all honey and light, as good as it was. But this, this church has, Emmanuel Church has a number of prophecies hanging over it that we are walking in and seeking God to continually fulfill. Embrace the world and I'll give you the city. It's a great prophecy, prophecy. And what are we doing? We are embracing the world. As far as I know, since I can remember nineteen ninety five 1995, I think there's been Romania and Albania and Bulgaria and um, and Africa and Ghana and India, north and south and somewhere in the middle, and Nepal. And, and and that's just without kind of stop to think what this church, where this church has been, as well as the nations that come to us. Overlapping that prophecy is we call it, to be a resource center. That's not the fabric, that's you and me. God wants us to be a blessing to the nations. Those that come to us and those that we have the privilege in going to, God wants us to be the resource empowered by His Spirit to make a difference in the world around us. That's God's mandate. And then I believe the other word is about strengthening your stakes and lengthening your cords and stretching the tent of your curtain out wide. Enlarge the footprint of your influence. And they all have the similar kind of flavor attached to them. And God says, in a nutshell, I set before you life and death. Walk with the prophecies that I speak over you. Walk with the promises that I give you. Or go round and round in circles and see nothing that I really want you to experience. But the children of Israel are faced with the promised land is near. Chapter 13, they send the spies in. The spies come out. The spies bring back, carried by two men on a pole, a bunch of grapes. Not the kind you're going to get in Granger Market. This is this is massive fruit. This is big stuff that they have plucked and carried back to the camp. And still, the children of Israel believe the negative report that went something along the lines of, well, you know, we were grasshoppers in their sight, and that's how we are in our sight. And that is part of the problem. God doesn't want us to think big of ourselves. He does want us to think big in Him. And think of Him much bigger than we already do. Which is why the writer in Hebrews says about coming to God in a time of need. So that we will obtain help. We come boldly before the throne of grace. So that we gain help in a time of need. I don't come boldly when the going is tough. I am meant to come boldly when everything is going well so that when it gets tough, I gain help in the time of need. It's a relationship that God has called us into. A relationship that we need to develop and keep working with day by day, moment by moment. Keep involving God as much as we can. When I was growing up, my parents always sent a birthday card or a Christmas card with the same text in it, so much so that I kind of got fed up with it. And it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. It was years and years later, the sense of the promise and the command made sense to me. Build a relationship with Jesus in the good times, so when it does get tough, you know where to go. And you know to turn to. And you know he's not going to let you down. But turn with me to, to Numbers 21. In Numbers 20, uh, Moses has gone up Mount Ho with with Aaron. And Aaron dies. They have failed to go into the promised land. They've missed it. They've started their 40 years of wandering, going round and round in circles. One year for every day that the spies were in. And during that 40 years, that generation of unbelief dies slowly, sometimes one at a time, sometimes on masses, but they die. But chapter 21 starts off. They leave them they leave Mount Hall and they go via the way of the Red Sea. I think that's incredible. They've just missed the opportunity for the promised land, and God brings them via the way of the Red Sea. What God is not doing is rubbing their noses in it. But what he is doing is serving them of a reminder of their miraculous escape. I did this for you. I opened the way. I led you out of Egypt. You came through this ocean. You look at it. I wonder how many of them paused for a moment and reflected on the miracle of that escape and then with regret Said, if only we had trusted God, if only we had walked it through, if only we had believed him, we would have been in Canaan by now. We would have been in the land of milk and honey by now. But instead, we're now going through this desert, going through this wilderness, and we're here for 40 years. And as they look at the Red Sea, it's also a reminder of God's incredible, miraculous deliverance for them. What an opportunity they had. The Red Sea parts. Moses, 80 years of age, stands there. God says, hold your staff out, he does. And the Red Sea parts. And all night, God sends a wind to make it dry for them to go through. And they go through, walking through between two walls of water. A phenomenal experience. They get to the other side and they discover the Egyptians are following them and the Egyptians think if they can go through well we can go through. So they do. And then God says to Moses stretch your staff out again. And he does. And the walls come crashing in. And the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. And the enemy that ill treated them they see no more. The enemy that caused them pain they see no more. The enemy that caused them discomfort, they see no more. The enemy that missed, that spoiled them because of lack of trust. The enemy, they see no more. It's good news. That is good news. The enemy that caused us pain. The enemy that robbed us. The enemy that has dragged us down. The enemy that spoke ill of us. The enemy that stood in the way. The enemy that thought they had it right and we had it wrong. The enemy. You see no more. So it's a reminder of a remarkable deliverance. Buddy Harrison, American evangelist, stroke preacher, was called by God. He was leading a big church in, in a city in America and God called him to set up and plant four churches on the main points of the compass around his city. North, south, east, and west. And he did. And about two and a half years afterwards, He tells the story that he was thanking God because each church was thriving. Each church was blossoming. Each church was being prosperous. Each church was blessed. And he said, I was thanking God for what he had done. And in the midst of my gratitude, I just asked God, why did you choose me? And he said, I was really hoping that God was going to say, I knew I could depend upon you. You were the right kind of caliber. You had the right kind of charisma. Anything there's a pat on the back would have been useful. Instead of that, he said, the Holy Spirit said, the first five men failed. He said, I suddenly realized I was the last in the pecking order. I wasn't top dog. I was the last person that God had to choose because everybody else had disappointed him. We may not be the first group of people that God has asked to embrace the world. We may not be the first people that God has said, I want you to be a resource center for the nations. We may not be the first people in Durham for God to say, stretch out, lengthen your stakes and strengthen your cords and stretch the tent of your curtain out wide. We may not be the first group. But let's be a group that fulfills the promises and the prophecies of God. Because it is the cucumbers of Egypt versus the... The milk and honey of the land of promise. And this place, when we come in every Sunday or every weekday, however however often we come in, should serve as a reminder of God's provision for us. And He can do it again. We've seen Him move. Move the mountains. We've seen Him move obstacles as this place came into existence. And I believe He can do it again. And He calls us today to keep going on this journey with Him. But this... This moment, going past the way of the Red Sea, serves as another reminder. The last reminder for me is this. It's God's miraculous closure. See, God opened the way for them to go through the Red Sea. Under the hand of Moses, God caused the sea to part for them to go through on dry ground. And then once they got through and they were safe, God shut the Red Sea. You can long for the, the cucumbers of Egypt. You can long for the melons and the onions and the, and the garlic. You can long for the fish without cost. But there's no way back. God shut the door. It's a miraculous closure. We may think, oh, the days of the carpet factory. We were there occasionally. We remember them. Oh, the days of the carpet factory. Oh, it was the worship, the wonderful, etc. Et All oh, the days in the sixth form center. No, no. There were good days. But let's not allow the past to rob us of what God has for the future. God wants to take us forward. There is a land for us to inherit. There is a footprint for us to enlarge. Part of that is the building across the road. It's the cucumbers of Egypt or it's the milk and honey of the land of promise. No. For the the promised land, for the Israelites, there were giants in the land that caused them to quake and fear and prevented them from, from possessing the land when they should have done. There were still giants in the land 40 years later. They still had to face the giants, but it was a different generation. Let's pray to God that this generation in this church possesses all that God has for us. A number of years ago, a prophecy was given over a particular area in Newcastle. And knowing to the person that brought the prophetic word, it was a repeat of a word that had been given 10 years earlier. And the word was to do with God having a church plant on this estate. And when the second prophecy was given, there were a select number of people that were spirit-filled, charismatic, believing God, excited in God, trusting God. And we had a a cohort of people that could have been and could have established a church in this particular area. And people didn't agree with it and didn't want it. And eventually, the people living there went to different parts of Scotland. They went to York. They went to uh, New Zealand. They went to North Shields. They, they kind of scattered and moved. But if God wants a church in that area, God will raise up a generation that will believe him and embrace the prophecy. Say, come on, we're up for this. Let's not wait for another generation. The kids that we prayed for this morning are as much a resource as we are. We, in total, are the resource that God is wanting to use. And the challenge today is do we want the cucumbers of Egypt? Which in case you didn't get it, you can't have. Because God shut the door. You can't go back. So their longing for it is an impossible dream. It's a pipe dream. It's never gonna work. You can sit in the desert and moan and groan because your feet are sore. Your shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. The clothes on their back never became tattered. They, that's because CNAs wasn't around. But, just testing your age. So, there's this kind of mentality that settles on people that are still entrapped in slavism. And God wants to make certain we're set free. We've had songs this morning being free. God's creation what we are in Him. But the choice is the same for us as it was for Adam and Eve back then, the same as it was for John on the Isle of Patmos when God says, write down everything you see. How long it took Him to write it down, I have no idea, but the choice was life or death. It's the promise of God and journeying into the land of promise, the land of milk and honey, or it's go round and round in circles. And they saw miracles by going around in circles. But they didn't see the best that God had for that generation. And they paid a huge price for not entering in. Are we up for the challenge? Are we up for going forward? Are we up for seeing us enter into the building across the way? See, they had to cross the Red Sea. They had to cross the River Jordan. We have to cross a piece of tarmac. I hope God doesn't divide it because it could be curtains for everybody. But the journey is from here to there. It was exactly the same then as it is now. In God, the distance is, is minute. It's from here to there. That's all it is. There will be challenges along the way. There will be giants in the land that we have to face. Some of those giants have already been put to flight. Planning permission has been granted. Praise God. God is on the move. We need, to, we need to capture the heart of God and say, I'm up for this, God. I'm with this generation. Let's see these prophecies continually being continuously fulfilled. That We never arrive at a place where we've we've been to all the nations. Because we discover this. When we think we've got there, there is still a region beyond where we're at that God wants us to reach. There's still a stretching out of the tent that God will want us to do. The journey is not over. But the challenge is cucumbers of Egypt or the milk and honey of the land of promise. Can we stand please now the musicians back on the stage. Father, I want to thank you today for the incredible promises you've given us. I want to thank you God for the heritage that we have in proving you over the years, seeing you answer prayer, seeing you provide, seeing you perform miracles in different ways. And today, Father, we declare you can do it again. And we're up for the challenge, Father. We want to see this generation move into all that you have and more, Father. Oh, when you open one way, we say, God, open another. Let's see you, Father, still moving by the power of your Spirit. Come and fill us again, Father, with excitement in you that captures our hearts and say, I'm up for the journey. I'm up for the adventure. It's not just the children. It's us included. We're up for the adventure in you, God. Thank you, Jesus.